Hi, I'm Andy Mulder. I'm the owner of Mulder Maintenance and Services, and I am a hardscaper. All right, Andy, let's get started here by getting to know a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into hardscaping? I got into this industry. My first job was uh, when I was 15. Uh, I was working for another landscaper. I ended up staying with him for about 13 years. Uh, Straight out of high school, I went full-time. And the last year before I started my company, uh, we did a hardscape project, a couple of them, and I really enjoyed it. Um, he was mostly a commercial-based contractor, and so um, we didn't really do a lot of hardscaping. And so when we did one, I really enjoyed it. So when I started my company, I really wanted to focus on that. I saw there was a huge need for the market. Uh, in the market around our area, There was it was really booming as far as you know everybody wanting outdoor living spaces and hardscaping stuff. And so I really just uh, dove right in. I, I, I didn't have tons of training. I learned as much as I could online and by going to seminars and uh, Instagram. I, I was just getting into Instagram when I started the company. So I just started from there. Um, we did a small project for someone at, um, at my, my um, mother-in-law's church, and it pretty much just took off from there. So when was it that you started this business? So we officially started in 2013. This about the year before that, I had uh, started mowing some lawns on the side. And we were a little slow at my day job, and so took on a couple yards. I had a couple neighbors and a couple of people from my church that I started mowing for, uh, and then that kind of grew just a little bit. I mean, I think I had six or ten accounts, and I ended up hiring my cousin and somebody else. They would mow for me during the week, and and then I would do some landscaping jobs, you know, little stuff on the weekends and mostly for family or neighbors. And so the winter, it would have been the spring of 2014, I uh, I quit my full time job and um, and started the company. Amazing. So you start with some uh, some landscaping, some some lawn care work, and then you progress into this hardscaping field. Uh, what was it that kind of made you take that dive from quitting your uh, your full time job and doing this this uh, your business full time? My plan all along with where I was working before was I was I had always planned on just staying there and working there and maybe potentially buying his company and. We had talked, me and him had talked about that a little bit. And the more and more it went on, the more I realized I wanted to do more and I wanted to go a different route and I wanted to, you know, get into hardscaping more and some more high end work. And um, also, me and what my wife have a big um, passion towards debt free living. And we wanted to, if I was going to stay where I was at, uh, the only way for me to ever buy that business was to, you know, get a big loan and buy the company. And we just didn't want to do that. We wanted to um, we wanted to start our own company. And we wanted to do it completely debt free. And so the only way to do that is to start from the bottom. So we decided to do that way. And I had a my oldest son was I can't remember how old he was, but he was maybe one or two at that time. And so my wife was working part time. So, you know, of course, it was really scary. I had never done anything like that in my life. I I think I had one or two jobs booked when I started. And it's just been a wild ride since then. Was it always the plan to get into hardscaping and uh, to go that route? Not necessarily. It's just kind of happened. I mean, I I don't really say we specialize in it like when I advertise, but the jobs that we've been getting and the stuff we've been doing, it's just it's gone that way. And, and we've excelled at it. And my guy, I've found some really good guys that are just do amazing work. And that's been able to take the company to the next level and I just really enjoy creating a plan and then delivering on the plan. And uh, I'm, we're really, 
really um, focused on the details. And I want another hardscape contract to be able to come to our jobs and not find a flaw. And that's like a big motivator for me is, you know, you know, when you're taking the pictures, I don't want you to have to try and find the right angle. You know what I mean? I want every, every part of it to be perfect. And, uh, so, you know, well, I, sometimes I, I describe ourselves as a kind of a boutique hardscaping company, landscape company, because we're small. It's just me and two guys that do hardscaping and sometimes a third guy. And then I have two guys that mow grass full time, but and I don't intend on getting any bigger. I, I really like the size that we are. And I like that the client deals from with me from the first time they call to when the project is done. Yeah. And you and myself are very similar in that aspect as well. Uh, very similar in size and everything. So I kind of want to talk on that a little bit here. Uh, if you would be willing to, why is it that you don't want to, uh, you know, grow bigger and, and get so many employees underneath you? Why is it that you, you like the size of your company as it is right now? I like this size the most because I can. I can just stay so attached to everything. And I know some people would disagree with that and, and, you know, say that, you know, if, if you have to be there, you know, it's not really a business. And, and there's some, there's, there's definitely truth to that. But the, what I, what we're doing and what we're trying to build the business on requires me to be there. And I like to be there. And the only way I see growing the company further is to hire in office staff people, which I'm in the process of doing right now because I want to stay in the field. And I like the, the customers that we've worked with. That's why they went with us is because they wanted me. They wanted me to be there the whole time. Um, and, and I, you know, I, it's not like I'm there every single minute, but I'm very involved, you know, from the beginning to the end. And so I, I find it to be, it's very profitable. Um, at this stage, I talk to many guys and uh, I have a really mentor of mine that that has a very large company and he calls it, you know, whenever he's on a sales call or has to go or something, he, he always says he has to feed the beast. And and I to me, that scares me. I just I don't want to have to have a company that, like I don't want to have to feel like I have to feed the beast. You know what I mean? Like I have to sell, you know, five million dollars of the work a year just to keep everything open and, and all this stuff. I just. I don't want to do it. I'm not built for it. I, uh, I found that out myself just, you know, in the short time I've been in business that I'm just not the type of person that I, I don't see myself ever owning a big company. I just, I, uh, I like my family time. I like my winters to be slower and the bigger you get, the more you can't do that kind of stuff. And that, that self-awareness that, uh, you understand that it's just not for you and, and you, you like where you're at. And, uh, and I think it's a huge selling point to your clients that they know that the person that they're talking to, to sell you the job is also the person that you're going to be talking to throughout the job and at the end of the job. And I think a lot of people miss that. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's guys there like the guy that mentors me around here, he he's done it really well the way he's built his business. He's a huge company, but he keeps it very personal. But I just know that, you know, for me, I want it to be like this. I, like I said, it's very profitable and I can control it and it doesn't control me. And, um, you know, I just, uh, I really like it like this. So. So looking back to when you first started this job, you took that leap and you quit your full-time job to, to start this company. How were you getting clients back then? Mainly from like my church community. So, I mean, I've been in this area my entire life. So my, my whole family, both sides of my family, 
have has lived here and a lot of there you know you just know a lot of people when you stay somewhere for so long and so i've gained a couple of my first clients are just some people from my church and it's just kind of built from there and after that i've really developed i mean i don't know if we're jumping ahead too much here but i developed some really good relationships with local suppliers and my local vendors and such and uh they've really pushed a ton of business my way by people that are coming into them looking for pavers or looking for somebody to do their job. And I've really gotten some of my best customers from that. Um, and, 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 and just word of mouth. I mean, one of my biggest jobs last year was, was somebody that my wife worked out with at the gym, you know, so you just never know. I I've heard a quote by, I don't know who Dave Ramsey says it, but I, it's somebody else that, that he got it from that, you know, everybody you meet is a potential customer. And that could not be more true. I, I think of jobs we've done and, and how how we've gotten to where we're at and and the projects that the people that we've met. And sometimes you it's still the people you least expect or you just can't believe the connection and how it happened. And I just really think that, uh, you know, treating everybody with respect and and you just never know where that next lead is going to come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you touched on it a little bit there, but as your as your business has progressed and where it is today, where are your leads coming from now? And is it still that that referral traffic from your suppliers that is maybe one of the biggest uh, areas that the, your leads are coming from? Uh, that's probably where I get my most cold call leads are, are from the supplier. Um, I mean, one in particular that that I deal with almost exclusively. But they they help me out a lot in that way as far as giving my cards out and really word of mouth has just been huge for my company. I mean, I you know the the referral is is the best is the best way to build your business. I can think of the progression progression of the jobs and how one has somehow been connected to the other one. And I've gotten a couple jobs from Facebook. Well, usually some smaller stuff comes from Facebook or like we do some drainage work that's come from Facebook and and then. Uh, let's see, two years ago, I got a really big job from Instagram, and that was the first big job I had gotten from Instagram. So um, I think it's a, a variety of ways. I have a website. I don't rely on it heavily at all. I don't do any Google AdWords or Google any of that stuff. I, I really don't. I just I, – the website is more of a, you know, you got to have a website kind of a thing. But I, I most of the leads we get are from from referrals and word of mouth and, honestly, my church community. I get – you know, I've – we have go to a pretty large church around here and that's, it's a, it's a really good community to build good referrals from. And, um, but it's also a good way to, you know, if you don't do the, do something right, you know, it's a good way to, you know, that it's a very com- connected community. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to, I don't know. It's just, I've gotten a lot of, a lot of work from that, you know? So. So somebody contacts you, uh, whether that's through email or uh, over the phone, a text message uh, based on, you know, where you're getting your, your referrals from, your leads from. Somebody contacts you. Where do you take that from there? Like, what questions are you asking? How do you communicate with them? Can you give a little bit of an insight about where that uh, that initial conversation goes? Yeah. So um, I'll usually obviously ask where they're where they're located. Um, I don't really go very much farther than maybe in 45 minutes away from, from our home base. So location is important. Um, I always want to know how they heard about us and then just try and ask them what they're looking for and, you know, why they called us. And I try and ask for a budget right off the bat on a phone call. Um, usually I don't have very good success with that on a phone call, 
um, people always try and just, or they just say they don't have one or not really sure or whatever. And so I just try and get a feel for what they're looking to have done, you know, and then, um, if it sounds like something I'm interested in, or if it's a referral, that's good enough that I don't really need to vet it too much. I'll schedule an interview or schedule a time for me to come over and meet with them. And we go from there. Absolutely. So when you schedule the, the first consultation, are you charging for it? And, uh, and, you know, what's, what do you ask them when you, when you show up for that consultation to get some information from them? I've experienced or done some experimenting with both ways as far as charging for the initial consultation. I, I, last year we were booked out like, I don't know, four or six months out and I, I was getting so many calls. I just couldn't, I couldn't get to everybody. So I started just um, saying I was, it was a hundred dollars for me to come eat with them. And I got rid of a lot of tire kickers, I feel, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to go about that. At least right now, this year, I'm not going to go about that this year. I, I think I'd, I don't have a problem going to meet with people. If it's up to me to vet them enough on the phone call, on the initial phone call and make sure it's, you know, sounds like the right kind of thing for us. And then I do charge a design fee for any kind of design work that we have to do, which almost every hardscape job requires a design. I, I don't know if I've ever done one without a design. So that I go over that with them when we meet with them. And that cost is all depends on the size of the project and the difficulty of the house, the design, so on and so forth. Awesome. So then you you meet with that customer and uh, you're planning a design if it's if it's a hardscape job with them. What, what questions are you asking them to understand what's going to go into that design or uh, what specifically they want to be able to see with the final product? Uh, so I try and ask them about what they're going to be using the space for and why they want to do it. I try and get an idea of what kind of style they're into. I usually bring a couple different different um, product books to show them um, and just try and get a little bit of an idea of what they're looking for. I, I try my best to listen a lot because I always feel like you can talk too much and not really find out what the customer is looking for. And so I try and ask a few questions and just let them talk. And you can really get a lot of glean a lot of information from that. So, yeah, I ask them, you know. The style, um, I, I try and ask, after I get an idea of what they're looking for, I'll ask them for a budget. If they don't have one, I'll, sometimes I'll give them some ballparks, and that usually um, helps with their budget. I try and find out, you know, are they looking for fire pits and, and or different appliances or uh, so on and so forth, and um, just stuff like that. Just really asking them questions to get them to talk, to find out what they're really looking for, and uh, just listen, you know. We've talked with uh, some some other contractors that have talked about the design fee. Uh, what do you do with the design fee? Do you charge them the design fee, and then if they do end up signing with you, you take the design fee out of their final quote, or do you? Is that design fee something totally separate, uh, regardless of if they uh, sign with you or not? That is kind of up to me. I don't advertise that I'm going to take it off of the you know, the, the final price. Um, but it's in the contract that I have the option to do that. Um, more times than not, I do, I take it off, but there are times when I, you know, the design was so extensive or something that I just, you know, I don't do it because I have spent all that work to, to get to that point, you know? And then, and then do you have any, uh, design software that you're, you're really loyal to that you, you love to use? Uh, I use Uvision. It's by Unilock. It's, I think it's the same as that real time architect. That's all I'm using right now. 
So I really like it. I before I was using Pro Landscape, but the, as soon as I learned New Vision, I never used that again. Gotcha. So then uh, you do the design, you talk with the customer one more time, and they want to go ahead with you. Uh, where where does it go from there, and what are your payment plans like with your customers? Uh, is it specific to the job? Is it uh, how do you take it from there? So after they sign, uh, we'll talk about schedule. I don't give for sure start dates, but, you know, a rough idea of when we're going to start. I usually update that, you know, two weeks, three weeks before we're going to start the project. I sometimes bring samples to the uh, to the final sales meeting or I'll come back with samples and show them exactly what they picked out. Or sometimes, actually, a lot of times I'll end up meeting them at a supply yard and we'll look at samples in person because I find that the the books are they're only so good for for the colors and everything. And I also like to be at the dealer because they have outside displays and all the products are there. So I always find that super helpful. Um, after, you know, they've, they've signed with me, we'll go and do that kind of a thing. And then as far as payment plans, uh, it really depends on the size of the job. I, I, if it's, I would say if it's under $50,000 for a project, we just do a a 50% down payment. And then the, the rest at the end, if it's any more than that, then I'll do some installment payments throughout the project and I'll, I'll, you know, list those out based on what the project looks like in, in different, you know, different um, times throughout the job where, you know, milestones in the project is what I'm trying to say. So absolutely. And then my next question kind of turns this conversation into a different direction from what we've been talking about, because it takes a little bit of a negative tone uh, attached to it. But You know, it goes hand in hand with talking about payment plans with customers or, you know, things that happen on the job site that are not so great. Uh, But they're they're learning experiences and and just sharing them really helps the community and helps other hardscapers learn more about what they can do to try to avoid these things. Do you have any horror stories on the job site or with a customer or with something like payment plans that you'd want to share? Let's see. I don't know. The second year in business, I think I had a client that they gave me the 50% down payment and I had no contract at the time. I didn't really have a full contract and I, it was just, you know, she had signed the estimate or whatever. And, uh, and then she never paid me the final amount. I think it was like, she owed me like 2,500 bucks or something like that. And I never got the money. I, uh, I sent her some letters and certified mail and that stuff, but never, never got paid. And at that, it really wasn't worth my time trying to go after. I mean, I, in hindsight, you know, nowadays I would just go after him just to make a, just to prove a point. But at that time it was like, okay, well, I, I got to move on. You know, I, I can't dwell on this. I can't, it is what it is. So that, and then the, actually this year, last year, I had a really bad experience with a customer and they tried to micromanage the job while we were working there. And we had a issue where we, didn't find a sprinkler leak that we had created um, when we were all done. We had turned the system on and everything seemed fine. And well, apparently there was a sprinkler leak that showed up and, you know, we went back to fix it maybe two or three days after he called me about it and he was super angry and you're always going to have stuff like that. I mean, this, that last one, we, it was our mistake. I mean, I, we definitely missed it and I totally owned up to it and we went and fixed it, but he was just really upset about it. And because of that, you know, there were some trees that got overwatered and died and, you know, it was just, I think it's so important. I mean, I, that in that instance, I couldn't have made him happy. I mean, I try, we fixed it and, and we moved on, but um, you just never know 
that that's like the the contract. I don't know if you want to talk about that or not, but having a contract is so important. And this winter, I actually finally took my contract, which I had been I've worked on and tweaked for the last I don't know three years now. Um, we finally went and had them completely redone by a lawyer, and it went from four pages to seven pages. So you know, I know that sounds super long, but you got to cover your basis, and you got to. And a lot of that stuff that we've added was stuff that I've learned from in the last couple of years. And, and I think it'll always be a work in progress, but, you know, protecting yourself with the contract is super important. And, and, uh, but then you're going to have issues where you have an issue that happened and you gotta, you just gotta take care of it. And that's the best you can do, you know? Yeah, and I think that's important whenever, uh, like, a learning experience comes up, you can, you know, adjust your contract like you've said you've been doing over time. And, you know, when, when something like that happens where a, a customer is just, is just angry, you know, the job might be finished, like it, it was in your, in your situation. But, you know, how do you deal with a customer that's coming at you aggressively like that? And it, it seems like no matter what you do, you're not going to make them happy. Do you just, you know, fix the problem and move on or what, what what can you do in that situation yeah i mean that, that this this situation this past summer that that was the first time that i've had somebody so mad i mean they was it was, was screaming at me and i i didn't even know what to do i i had one of my other guys with me which was i'm really glad i did not for safety reasons just so that there was another witness there and i just i you just got to remain calm and you know, I, I learned a lot, you know, after that, I looked back on the whole relationship and I should have never taken the job in the first place. And, and I think it's important to, when you get in a situation like that, to look at yourself and think, okay, well, how could I have prevented this? And, you know, I should have known from the beginning, there was signs in the beginning and the way he, his body language was when we met him and how he interacted with me or how he interacted with his wife. And, and there's just things like that, that, I think as you grow as a salesperson and as a business owner, you begin to learn to read people and prevent those situations and know when to run and when to know that it's not your ideal customer. And I, I, I only, I, I really think that can only come with time and how you, and, and this, and the, the life lessons you learn and the situations you get into. And, and, um, you know, I, I did everything I could to make him happy and, I'm sure he'll never call us again for work, but I know what, what we put in is working and we fix what went wrong, you know, but you just, I, you, you just learn from your experiences and try and think about how to prevent them and then, and, you know, going forward. Yeah, I agree so much in, in the importance of, you know, being able to read a customer and decide if that's the customer for you or not and, you know, move on if, if, if it's not. And, uh, you know, moving this along here, do you, when it comes to installation, do you have any major talking points you live by when it comes to installation? Things like products, tools, anything like that that you live by on your installations that you'd want people to know more about? Oh man, I mean, if you want to bring up the word tools, I could, we could talk for another two hours. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I really, I've invested a lot of money in tools and equipment. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about equipment too, but I've really, that was something where, when I, where I used to work, it wasn't relied upon as heavily as far as getting the right tools for the job. And when I started the company, I, I really wanted to, invest in stuff that made the job easier and made it more efficient. And I've built the company 
on adding equipment instead of people. Um, and so by doing that, we've done things. I mean, I've spent a lot of money with Pave Tool a lot. I, I really like their tools and I like them as a company. Um, they're good people. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I have a, I have a Canicom buggy. Uh, I talk about a lot on Instagram and, um, that thing, I found out about that thing from Jeremy from J squared outdoors. And that thing has been one of the best tools I've added to our, to our, you know, lineup of equipment. We just move, move material super fast. And I mean, it's just, it's a game changer. Um, another thing I really like is we have an Encon tilt rotator on our excavator. Um, and that has been just an unbelievable tool to have on the hardscape job site. You're able to dig ways you didn't think you could dig or put material where you need to put it or grade it out without having to do it by hand. Um, so that's been really amazing. Another thing I did, this is, I don't know, maybe three years ago, two years ago, I invested in a new 20-foot tool a trailer, enclosed trailer, and I outfitted it um, with all the tools and, and equipment that we need for doing any kind of job, really, from sprinklers to hardscaping. I mean, we can do anything out of that trailer. And that thing has been the, the just an amazing tool to increase efficiency and decrease shop time and loading and unloading time. Uh, I was just so sick of forgetting something or not having the right tool when we needed it. And uh, so now, I mean, our shop time in the morning is five minutes and, and five minutes at the end of the day. I mean, unless we're unloading something that we didn't need or something. But it's so important to invest in tools that can increase your craft time, but reduce, you know, your 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 shop time or your unbillable time, because it's just, you know, we don't get paid to move material around the job site. We don't get paid to, you know, load up in the morning. You know, you should be figuring on that stuff. But the more you can increase your craft time, you know, the more money you're going to be able to make and the more work you can do in a year. And, and, and the amount of work you can do with less people is is that's why you invest in the equipment. I mean, I I went down. I got rid of one guy this year or had one less guy this entire year. And we did three hundred thousand dollars more in, in work. And I, I attribute that to the tools that we've been adding. Yeah, and uh, the two previous episodes would be on our podcast uh, with this I Am a Hardscaper series would be Caleb Amon of Amon Landscaping, uh, Jeremy, so I heard of uh, J Squared Outdoor, and now yourself, all talking about this CandyCon machine and uh, the buggy life <laughs> that I, I've, buggy I've, life. <laughs> that I've seen you guys talking about. So we it, have we have shirts in case anyone wants one. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and. Uh, it's great to see, you know, you guys coming together and, and talking about that buggy life and what it's doing for your businesses and everything like that. And, you know, when do you know that you're ready to purchase one of these pieces of equipment for your business? Um, does it does it just make sense efficiency wise? Are you looking at your numbers? You know, when do you know that you're ready to purchase something like the Encon or the uh, uh, the Canicom to, uh, to increase uh, efficiency? For me, I know that. I know that the right time is when I can afford to buy it. There's a lot of things that, like the Encon, for example, when I saw the Dirt Ninja Tom Gardecki, when I saw him get that and use that, I didn't even need to try it. I knew that that was what we needed. That it's it's not many guys have them in the hardscaping world, but when I saw it and what it can do, it's just a no-brainer. When I saw Jeremy with this buggy and what it could do, 
it was just a matter of time until I bought it. I, I, I don't know if there's no real science behind it for me, but if I have the money to pay for it, then I'm going to buy it. And, um, because I know that it's going to increase the efficiency. I will probably buy anything that will increase efficiency and reduce labor. I just built yesterday. I just tried out and we built a, a broom attachment for the Encon. And, and I look at that and think, okay, when I have a pile in the middle of the street that I'm scooping out of or whatever, a lot of times after you get to the bottom, you don't want to scrape the road or scrape a driveway. And so you get out and you hand broom it or you hand shovel it into a little pile and scoop it up again. Well, now I can just grab this little broom attachment and I can sweep it into a pile and then, you know, scoop it up with the bucket. It's something like that. You know, that probably that, that probably cost me. I think it would be like a thousand dollars to make that thing. But that will eliminate so much handwork and and time on the job site. And, and I really think I, I have really figured out that the you waste so much time cleaning up the job site. Um, you know, like we have these alterna mats, they're like ground protection mats. And so that's been huge for, for cleanup on the job site and keeping the job site from becoming a muddy mess. Um, I just, I, this winter I bought a, a, um, a sweeper, like a street sweeper for the front of the Bobcat front of the track machine that we have. And I, I, I got, I saw, you know, Jeremy from J squared has one of those and, and those kinds of things, those tasks are all tasks that if you can reduce them, you reduce, you, you increase your craft time because you're not spending that extra hour at the end of the day to sweep up the street, you know, and you send a guy out there to sweep up the street and he's there for two hours while you're packing up the job site or whatever. Um, you know, I've, we've done that, but now I can sweep the street in five minutes. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's when I see something like that, you know, you got to for me as a business owner, I look at it and I'm thinking, I think, how can that will that increase efficiency? And and will it, because it's not like I mean, I can make I make money with the, the, the track machine and the mini excavator and I make money with the buggy. But like the sweeper stuff like, yeah, I maybe will sell like a maybe a street sweeping job a year to a commercial customer. But I'm looking at that tool as it's. It reduces labor and increases craft time. Yes, absolutely. And kind of closing this interview off with a couple more questions here. We've talked a little bit about different people in the industry uh, throughout this podcast. Um, you know, a, a couple of your, uh, uh, you know, Caleb Amon, Amon Landscaping, and Jeremy Swihart's uh, J Squared Outdoor, and also your mentor that you, you talked about uh, earlier in the podcast and about how they've helped you. Do you have any other mentors or people online that you network with that you, uh, you know, that inspire you maybe or or just, you know, push you to be better? Any mentors like that that you'd want to give a shout out to? Uh, I mean, the, the guy around me, um, his company's called RLM, um, Richie's Landscape Management, and uh, he's probably one of the biggest landscapers in our area. And he approached me about, um, you know, talking to me about pricing and and my business and wanted to know if I needed any help. And that relationship has been one of the best things that's ever happened for me. Um, I would not be where I'm at without his help and his advice. And um, it's just been a huge part of my growth. So, I mean, they have an Instagram, but they're not on it very much. Um, and then, you know, Jeremy, the Dirt Ninja, um, Caleb and Brittany Allman. Allman um, I think they're, they're really great people and uh, I look up to them and how they're running their business with a husband and wife. And 
Um, that's a very hard dynamic to navigate through and they do it really well. Um, I really get a lot of inspiration and motivation from Jared from premier landscape, um, in Rhode Island. Um, he's a really good guy. And then another guy that I, I, uh, I'm actually going to meet with him in another month or so. Um, Dan Wasson from Wasson nurseries, um, in they're in, um, uh, Indianapolis area. He is, uh, He's he's an amazing designer, and I really have come to uh, love his work and his uh, passion for the industry, and and uh, and just him as a person. So I've got one last question for you, Andy, as we close out this interview. You know, you've learned. I'm sure, obviously, you've learned a lot since starting your business up until this point. But I want to ask you, what is that one thing that you wish you'd known from the very beginning when you started your company? I would say how to how to charge correctly. When I started the first years, which is based on what I knew from where I worked before, and I, that's all I knew. I didn't that that was the only job I had ever had, and so you know I had no no uh, process of charging and and knowing my overhead and and knowing that you know the back end of the company and how and how I need to charge to make money and to grow and you know if I wouldn't have made the changes I made bases based off of you know the mentorship I received. Um, I would not be where I'm at today. I, I could not have grown like we've grown. I could not have um, made the equipment investments we've made. And I just, you know, we, we can all work our whole life in this industry and not have anything to show for it. And and uh, and I just, it's not worth it. I mean, I, I've I've said this. Me and Jeremy have talked. We can all work our whole lives and 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 own business and have all the stress of that and not make any money. We could go work for somebody else and make the same amount of money and not have any stress. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's one thing, you know, from the beginning, it would have been really helpful to know how to charge correctly. And, uh, and just having everything in the office line, you know, in line. Um, I have a finance manager that, uh, has been super helpful to me that just getting everything organized and having the right spreadsheets. We've implemented LMN, and just that stuff is so important. You know, we, we all want to go out there and do all the work, but you're never going to have any longevity if you don't have the, the, you know, the back end of the business in line. So, Andy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. This was a huge honor. So thank you.